Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. If you tuned in last week, you know that this series is seeking to answer the question, what is a journey woman? Today, we're talking to none other than Matt Lance about identity and calling. Matt has been a mentor of mine for years. He married Brooks and me, and I am so excited to share him with you today. As we revisit this episode, you'll hear some additional commentary from one of the Journey Women team members, Lauren, who I deeply respect and always love learning from. We pray that this episode will help you believe and trust the Lord about who He says you are more today than you did yesterday. Before we dive in, you know I want to tell you about our sponsors who help make this episode possible. Dwell, Kaleidoscope, and Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And a big thank you to all of you who have donated to Journey Women Ministries. We are so grateful for your help as we seek to encourage women to know and love God more. Do you long to study the Bible more deeply and be better equipped to teach God's Word? Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary offers a variety of flexible degree options that empower you to do just that. Southeastern believes that God has commanded each of us to go and make disciples by teaching His Word and sharing the truth about Jesus Christ. Through its diverse selection of certificate programs, master's degrees, and advanced degrees, Southeastern equips women to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Southeastern would be privileged to play a part in your growth in God's Word and your training to fulfill the Great Commission in all of life. To find out more, explore degree options, or schedule a visit, check out sebts.edu. You have played such a huge role in helping me understand who I am and how God has uniquely designed me and how I can serve Him out of those giftings that He's given me. And I'd love just to start there. Do you have like a basic definition of identity? Yeah. The way I I tend to describe it is identity is declaration that defines being. It has two components, design and direction. Hmm. So it's a declaration that defines being that indicates design and direction. So you you might, other people might say form and function or Mm -hmm. what something is and then what something is designed to do. So even if you if you talk about like a hammer, let's say, for example, um, you know, it has a design, a specific way that it is shaped and uh, made, um, different materials. You don't make a hammer out of a sponge. Um, and then it also has a direction because of its design. Right. So that's something that the designer, whether by word or by acting upon, um, has made a declaration as to what that thing is. For humanity, that's what being is, in my opinion. Hmm. So, like, if you're a hammer, you are intended to do specific hammer-type things. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of us are, you know, God designed a lot of us to be hammers, and we're surrounded by a bunch of people who are saws. We're trying to cut wood in half, and we're terrible at it, and we're making a huge mess, and everybody else is frustrated (laughs) with us. We're not satisfied, and it just doesn't work. And that's why I I feel like identity is a really important thing, especially for young men and women, you know, college age, college graduates to to really to really understand and um, and walk in because it's it's really formative. 
what is it that influences our identity if we're not thinking about it intentionally? Well, I think I, I think initially I'm tempted to say that depends. It depends on. Um, I might get a little preachy on this, Hunter. You might have Go. to forgive me for a second. Uh, <laughs> uh, Soapbox. How long do we have for this? We got way? an hour. Okay. If I only need two questions, that's all we got to go for. All right, well, I'll, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. So my initial my initial thought is to say, well, it depends. What uh-huh. influences our identity? It depends on what you believe about humanity, okay? Like what it is, where it comes from. It depends on your right. anthropology, but it really doesn't depend on what I believe about what a human is or yeah. not. I'm a human whether I believe it or not, you know? I, I I'm talking to you right now, even if I don't believe I'm on the Journey Woman podcast. It's, you know, there are some things that are uh, matters of fact. And a lot of times we have a hard time believing those things. In fact, we'd even believe the lie rather than believe the fact. Uh, And that's why the other thing I feel like I need to say about identity is that identity isn't a matter of opinion. Hmm. It's a matter of fact. Uh, It's a declaration that defines being. Now, the big question becomes who gets to make the declaration mm. and that's where all the issues revolve who has the authority to declare identity i think everybody uh, regardless of any distinction would affirm that identity is a declaration yeah i think everybody would affirm that it's a matter of fact where i think the disagreement begins to emerge is who has the authority there are two choices we have on who has the authority. Either we are handmade creations of God himself, mm-hmm. the God of the Bible, right? or we are whatever we say right. we are. And so let's talk about the latter here for a second. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep this real brief. Go for it. The world we live in right now is a world that rejects authority. Yeah. First, you know, you go back to the 60s, we rejected traditionalism. Then we rejected morality. Then we did away with religious authority. Mm-hmm. And more recently, we've seen the beginnings of something very interesting mm-hmm. where you have now men and women yes. declare that they are not men or not right. women or that they're both or that they're none of the above. Now we see the rejection of science. Mm-hmm as an authority, even about things like identity. And even with the election of our president, you've seen the chant, you know, the hashtag, not my president. We're also now beginning to see the rejection of political authority, even Mm -hmm. the backlash that we've seen with police officers, the rejection of the law and law enforcement. So it really is coming to the surface here that the only authority in life is, and the only trustworthy authority in life is me, yeah. my opinion, my declaration. Ugh. And so I can declare that I'm a tree and you can't argue <laughs> with me about it. Yes. You know? No, it I'm is so gonna, true. I'm just going to branch out and leaf my old life behind. <laughs> It's so true. And, and, and you get, you know, people are shamed if you make any kind of like firm proclamation about anything, you know, it's like, you can't have an opinion. Do you remember the movie back to the future? I've never seen that movie. Oh, is that like a date night movie? Stop the podcast right now. (laughs) Okay. 
No, it's it's a funny movie, and you remember it's you know it's from the eighties. In the okay. movie, there's a line, you know, the the dad says to the son, you know, son, you can be anything you want to be if you just set your mind to it. Yeah, that's an identity statement, and it's total lie. And that's like everything. That's what you tell your kids. You know, that's like right. the end of a children's storybook. I can't be LeBron James if I want to be LeBron James. <laughs> if I set my mind to be LeBron James, I can't be him. So what do we do? In this kind of in this kind of sense where we are the only authority, now what we do is we pick something that we see in ourselves that we want to make distinctive, like mm-hmm. my sexuality, for example. Right. We take a facet of identity mm-hmm. and elevate it to the ultimate defining characteristic of my identity. And it was never designed to do that in the first place. Yeah. So the other option we have then in terms of what influences our identity is God. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how many of your listeners uh, are Christians or believe the Bible or read or whatever, but in the scriptures, um, there's a verse that, you know, I'm very fond of and, and rant about quite a bit. And it's Ephesians 2.10. And Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in them. In that verse, you get identity as something that is received, not something that is achieved, mm-hmm. decided upon, or if I just set my mind to it. Once I receive this identity, I live it out by faith. The identity is received because I, as a human, have been acted upon by a creator God who who, he designed me for things he didn't design you for, Hunter. And Mm -hmm. he designed you for things he didn't design me for. And as we come together under the name of Jesus Christ together, each of our designs and our giftings complement each other. And so together as the body of Christ, we end up functioning as if Jesus was still on the earth because mm-hmm. we are we actually become his body it's almost like Jesus never left mm-hmm. and instead of instead of if if you if God designed you to be like a saw and he designed me to be like a hammer i don't have to compete with your identity you know we work together you saw the boards in half and then i nail them together there's no more competition there's no more trying to elevate myself or make myself unique or trying to distinguish myself from every other human being because I'm not trying to define myself. I have already been defined by a creator God who knows way more about life and identity than I do. And so being a follower of Jesus isn't just about going to heaven. It isn't just about doing you know, what the Bible says. It's also understanding that God didn't run me through. He didn't run me through a machine. He didn't crank me out. Yeah. He didn't mass produce us. We are his mm. handcrafted, unique creation, creations, each of us. And as a result, if we're handcrafted and unique, then we must have a function. If he's taken so much time with our form, then we have to have a function. And the question I love asking college students is, do you know what your function is? Oh. And most, most don't because they've never thought about it. At the end of the day, there are several things I want to be, or several identity statements that I want to live up to. 
I want to be a good wife, a good daughter, a good friend, a good writer, and in just a few months, a good mother. These desires drive how I live my life and how I spend my time. They're not bad desires. They're obviously good things to strive to be. But I've realized an inconsistency in these desires, my understanding of my identity, and my belief in the gospel. I don't know about you, but I can so easily slip onto the hamster wheel of doing, and even more dangerously, of believing that being a good, insert whatever role you want to, is accomplished by my doing. That being a good wife is accomplished by cooking delicious, healthy meals for my husband. That being a good writer means publishing beautiful and encouraging blog posts. That being a good believer means having daily quiet times and not struggling with the same sins over and over again. Maybe you do this too. Maybe you're tempted to think that being a good friend is always saying yes when something is asked of you, or that being a good student is accomplished by acing every assignment, or that being a good parent is choosing the right school or dressing your kids well or doing all the things. But what does this incessant striving, what do these beliefs about our accomplishments say about what we believe about ourselves, about the gospel? Do we think that what we do shapes who we are or what God thinks about us? Are we truly trusting in the work Christ has accomplished on our behalf, or are we slipping back onto that hamster wheel and relying on ourselves and our own efforts? Are we working for our identity or from it? Are we able to separate ourselves from what we do? At the end of the day, my identity as a writer is not what I produce or publish. My identity as a wife is not how many loaves of fresh-baked bread I make for my husband. We are not what we do, and it is exhausting to live on this hamster wheel of striving. But there is deep soul rest to be found in resting in the identity that has been bought for us by Christ. I hope we're really able to believe this, to remember that our identity has been secured for us by Christ. We won't find rest or identity in what we can accomplish. We will only find it in being His. Let's listen back in to hear Matt talk about how God, who gives us our identity, uses various means to shape and grow it over time. So it's interesting because the way I think about it is so different than it was, you know, 10 years ago. And I'd love to just hear from you. Is identity, you're saying that it's given to us by God. And yet, mm-hmm. is it something that's also shaped and developed over time? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I would say it's a little bit of both on this one. I would mm-hmm. say, yes, it's shaped and developed over time. But rarely are we the ones that get to determine yeah. what changes are made. Yes, we can. We can make. We can, and we can make minor changes. I would say, but predominantly, mm-hmm. I would say, at least in my life and the lives of of those that I've been working with, I, they were things that people said to us. They were things that people did to us. They're things that we experienced, positive and negative. Those were the things that formed us. And I also have to think that in the midst of all of this, that that God is, you know, he allowed me to be in the United States instead of in Russia or, yeah. you know, some other place. And so there are some parts of God's handcrafting of me, again, not an assembly line thing. Like I didn't, I didn't come out of my mother's womb, you know, fully designed, like he in his yeah, magnificent yeah. sovereignty and his yeah. all-knowingness, he has made it possible for my life, the experiences that I have to shape me into the man he's designed, mm-hmm. but from my perspective, designing me to be. You know, from my perspective, I'm still becoming the man that I'm designed to yeah. be, but from his yeah. perspective, I'm complete. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a very hard yes. question to answer when you think about it. Um, but I think I do think it's something that can be shaped and developed, 
But since predominantly it's something we receive, I tend to emphasize more that identity is more of an issue of humility yeah. and of trust than it is an issue of method or technique. Yeah. Um, are you willing to trust that God is a better designer of you than you are of yourself? Oh, <laughs> mic drop. okay so if you're functioning like a saw if that resonated with someone and they're sitting here thinking man i'm trying to be a saw and i don't even Mm -hmm. necessarily know what i am Mm -hmm. or maybe i know i'm a hammer and i'm trying to be a saw Mm -hmm. how do you determine when you're not functioning within your god-given design and where do you go from there Mm. that's a good question I think as with most things in my life, when I get, I I get selfish and I get self-focused and that turns, that turns me inward on myself. Oh, that's like Um, every day for me over here. (laughs) Constant. (laughs) Well, little kids will do that for you. Yeah. (laughs) That happened to me just before I got on this phone call. So we're in the same boat. (laughs) Uh, You're wrecking my plans. Yes, exactly. Um, I think that when I get turned inward on myself, my friend had this phrase in college, it makes me pervert my design. It, Mm. uh, it makes, it makes me queer like a base, like a football bat. Yeah. There's something that, you know, there's no such thing as a football bat, but I'm using my identity in a way that was never designed to be used, especially in the students that I've worked with over the past several years. It typically comes when people are using the things that they've been spiritually empowered Mm. to do for themselves. They're using their their God-given gifts and abilities to protect themselves, to assert themselves, to distinguish themselves, and they're not using it sacrificially. They're not using it in a way that blesses others. And that can get really tricky sometimes because sometimes people are very, very, very sacrificial with their time or with their money or with their energies. But the reason they're sacrificial is because they want attention or because they yeah. want approval or, you know, those sorts of things. And so this is where I feel like, um, having friends in your life that can come alongside you and can help you see this, um, is really valuable, whether that's, you know, a lifelong friend or someone you trust, or even if it's something that you do in counseling, I think having, uh, that dialogue, somebody to help you kind of be transparent and, um, help you learn to be a little bit reflective on, some of the things that are going on in your life is really an asset. Mm-hmm. Not all of us have that uh, or have it as readily, but I think it's, it's well worth the time to find. And, and then when you detect that, when, when you realize that that's the case, then you have to ask yourself the question, if God's designed me this way, he's designed me this way for the church, for others, mm-hmm. how can I best do this for other people? Uh, and that's, you have to begin with giving away your design um, as, the, as the first place to start. I know you guys are finding this conversation with Matt Lance as helpful as I am. And because of that, I want to tell you about another sponsor who helped make this episode possible, Dwell. You know, we're all about God's word here at Journey Women, and that is why we love telling you about the Dwell Bible app. Their mission is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide the word of God in our hearts. 
Dwell offers many different versions of the Bible like ESV, NIV, KJV, NLT, The Message, and others. They even have the International Children's Bible available in the New Testament, and it's actually read by kids. Really cool. We love Dwell's Read feature, which allows you to fully tailor the Bible reading experience with customizable themes, styles, and fonts. Go to dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for life. That's dwellbible.com slash journeywomen to commit to scripture for the rest of the year or for life. I also love the piece about welcoming your brothers and sisters in to speak into when you may have put something as the foundation that shouldn't be there. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. in the beginning, sexuality, that is such a common one. Mm-hmm. The, a facet of our identity becoming the foundation. And that's not able to withstand the pressure I mean, and we see that all around us. And so I'd love for you to just talk about how we can move forward when we realize, and maybe even talk about what are some different facets of identity that we might be tempted to place as the foundation for our identity. And Mm. if we realize that our foundation is unstable, how can we move forward from there towards building a stronger, more stable and biblical foundation? Okay. Um, that's a huge question. And I, if you'll forgive me, uh, we'll have a little office hour here for a second. It, it's got some <laughs> assumptions. It's got some assumptions that I'm not exactly comfortable with. Oh, um, no. Uh, well, I, I just, here's the thing. Um, I, I really do believe that identities aren't built. Okay. I really, I really do believe that there's something that we receive. Yes. Um, so, Maybe if I tell me if I'm not answering your question the way that you're kind of you're kind of intending, I'll, I'll give it a stab and then we can kind of circle back around again. Okay, if we yes, need to. this is good. Um, this is the forge. <laughs> <laughs> if 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 that's the case, if if that's at least part of the the issue with this question, if identities aren't built, if identity is received, believed, and then lived out, mm. and I think in that order. If you've built an identity around anything, whether that's you know your job or your spouse or your you know your popularity or your grades or your accomplishments, any of that stuff, um, if you've built an identity, you haven't built an identity. Yeah, you've built an idol. Mm-hmm. Yes. What you've done and why here's why we want to build identity because we want to know that we're okay. We want to know who we are. We want to know that we're acceptable, that we're liked. We want to know that we have it all together. We want to know that we're not going to mess up. We want to know that we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We want to know that daddy's there and he's going to take care of us. And you can't build that. What we do when we build our, when we build identity, which again, I don't think is possible, but when you build identity on money, let's say, mm-hmm. or sexuality, let's say, or anything, what you're doing is you're, you're fashioning for yourself, much like Aaron does with the golden calf. You're, you're taking all of these things that you have at your disposal and you're creating something for yourself apart, separate from 
that which God has already provided for you in creating you. He has brought you out of Egypt and he's taken you to the promised land, but you're at the base of the mountain taking everything else around yes. you going, no, this is your God. And that's where I've, I really think the, the, the mistake even in a lot of Christian self-introspection and identity talk kind of tends to run a little sideways. Yeah. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. You know, granted, there are a lot of <laughs> psychological factors to all of this that I'm not going to talk about because I, I don't have that kind of expertise. My background is more theology and biblical study. So from that perspective, I think that every single one of us already right now, if you're listening to this right now, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a strong and a stable mm. biblical biblical foundation, and you have it in spades. God went to great lengths to provide that for us. And so that feeling uh, that you talk about, that feeling of instability, isn't really instability, it's insecurity. Mm. Yes. Um, You've built a lousy foundation, and we know it. (laughs) And we know that it can't support our being. We know that our spouse can't be everything that we need our spouse to right. be. Yes. So we can feel happy or so that we can feel content or so that we can feel safe. And we know that deep down inside, but we don't have anything else around. And so we go grasping for whatever. Yeah. We can. And when you do that, especially out of fear, that's where idolatry creeps in. It begins to look good and safe. And all of a sudden you find yourself worshiping something that isn't yeah. a safe at all. I think it's really interesting that you brought up the specific instance of Aaron at the foot of Mount Sinai. But I'm reading through the Bible to better understand kind of the big story of the Bible right now. And Mm -hmm. I'm doing it very quickly so that I can make connections more quickly because I've done it before, but it's been really slow. And that was one of my main takeaways because you see Aaron, you know, he takes everybody's gold and all the precious stuff and he melts it down, builds a golden calf, and then just a little bit later, you see Aaron again, and here he is with all of his sons, and he's in charge of all of kind of the priestly type stuff, mm-hmm. like meeting with the Lord. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, what mm-hmm. a grace. Like he, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about how he has perverted his identity, to use your language, and how just a couple chapters later, he's repented of that. And then he's mm-hmm. like ushering people into the presence of God. And mm-hmm. it's just encouraging because you're like, you know, we've all done that really self-worship and idolatry, like you're saying. And mm-hmm. and God is just so gracious, I think, just to restore us and to give us eyes to see himself. And so, I don't know, I'm encouraging anybody who's out there that feels like they have missed the mark here, just to look away from yourself and to look to Jesus. This is the beauty of the reality that identity is something that's bestowed upon us. If it's bestowed upon us, especially by a creator God who loves us, then it doesn't matter what I do. I still am that thing. Yes, no matter what. If he's made me into a hammer, I can't unmake what God has made. (laughs) Even if I go off trying to saw wood in half, God's going to shake his head and go, you know, know, he's going to teach me. He loves me. He's going to... He's going to train and disciple me into the design that he's made me to be. He, it's, it's, it's very much uh, his grace, mm. uh, not just to save me, but also to, to do the good works that he has designed for me to do. And so 
if identity is built upon the things that we do, then yeah, gosh, I mean, how do you wake up in the morning, especially once you've messed up? But when you understand that the Bible teaches that identity is something that's bestowed, identity is something that God gives and it's not attached to our activity, man, that gives you so much freedom if you fall down, if you mess up, to remember, I'm a handmade creation of the God who created the universe. There's nothing that can, that should negate the fact that that's true. There's, I can't, I can't do that with my behavior. And so I can get up and I can continue going. And if you want, you know, bonus features, you're reading through the Bible fast, you go into the book of Leviticus and you watch the process that God takes Aaron through. He has to sit in a tent for a week and he can't do anything as part of being as his consecration process of becoming high priest. Yeah. How long does it take to become consecrated unto God? A huge long time. And how long does it take to sin and blow it? Just like, I mean, it's so quick. But God is faithful. He can continue to restore and establish us, not because we're so great, but because of the blood of Jesus. Oh my God. Because word, he's, yes. already, he's already paved that road for us so that it's not something that we have to, it's not a minefield that we have to walk and just hoping that the next step doesn't, doesn't end it for us. Okay, friends, here's the dilemma every parent faces. You want to give your kids helpful discipleship resources, but eventually, kids grow too old for storybook Bibles, plus they've read them a million times. However, their reading level hasn't caught up to adult translations, which are written at a high school level. Kaleidoscope steps into this in-between stage, helping kids and parents bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations. They retell every book of the Bible at an elementary reading level in beautifully designed single-volume chapter books. Kaleidoscope has volumes on everything from Numbers and Exodus to Matthew and Romans. And this month, you can pre-order their highly anticipated volume, Genesis. Check them out at Read Kaleidoscope on Instagram or at readkaleidoscope.com and take 10% off your order with the code JOURNEYWOMEN. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles. We're all familiar with kind of those biblical passages like the Ephesians 2.10 verse that you mentioned. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we really live those out practically? Like now we know, okay, mm-hmm. we have this foundation. Like we did nothing to receive mm-hmm. it. God gave it to us. But how do we move that from our head to our hearts to our hands to where we're like actually living that out? The same way an apple tree produces apples. Just be. Yeah, how hard does an apple tree have to to work to produce apples? Oh yeah, it just does. You know, uh, how hard does an apple tree have to work to produce oranges? I mean, it would have to work really hard, and it still wouldn't produce oranges. I mean, Jesus <laughs> says this: mm. good fruit doesn't come from a bad tree, and bad fruit doesn't come from a good tree. Okay, so when identity is something that we believe, when it's something that we have humility with. The issue in the garden was Adam and Eve not having the humility to receive what God gave them. Mm. Instead, they put themselves in a position where um, they 
became they knew more than God, or they they wanted to, they were enticed by the fact that they could know what God knows. As a result, that separation from God, where I'm going to trust my intuition before I ever trust God's word. Mm-hmm. That's what sin mm-hmm. is in me, where I am yeah. the judge of what's right and wrong. I'm the yes. judge of good and evil. And and even when I read the Bible, I'm going to look at that and go, oh, I don't really like that very much. Yeah. That doesn't sound right to me. I even know that's what sin is. Sin at its very core is me being the judge of everything. God, other people, things, life itself, when I can't be that. I've elevated myself to a position that I ha- have ignorance, so I have no idea how to, to steward that kind of position, but I do it anyway. And so to answer your question, I think that when we have the humility and say, God, you know more about life than I do. God, you are the author of everything. I have some strong feelings about the way life should be lived, Mm -hmm. but I am going to have humility here. I'm going to have some submission here. I'm going to have some, some trust and I'm going to trust that your way is better than my way. That I think is how you live out these passages in a practical sense. It's not, you got to do this more. You got to work harder. You got to be this more. Yeah. Okay. There are there is a place for some of those disciplines to help you be in a position to believe, mm-hmm. to be in a position mm-hmm. to trust. There are there is a place for behaviors of that sort, but the ultimate goal really needs to be: Do I trust that God did His best with me? Do I believe that He didn't make a mistake? That's hard for us. It's really hard. Especially for us that, especially for a lot of us that have really tough stuff in our life. And that's, there's no way around those things. But if we really do want to live out these passages about identity, they have to be believed first before they can ever be lived out. Okay. So again, identity isn't achieved. It's not an achievement. It's bestowed first. It's declared over us by God. We trust him, we believe him, that that's true, even in spite of all the silly things that we've done, even in spite of all of our failures, he still looks at us and says, I love you, that you're my daughter, you are my son, I've created you for these things, that we still believe him. And then because we believe him, we live that out. That's the quote unquote practical way Mm. to apply those biblical passages, it's it's belief and trust, not harder work. So as we grow in belief and trust, is that where we see maturity being brought about in us? Absolutely. I think when it comes to immaturities in our identity, I mean, most of that's found in us, again, wanting to define ourselves, to make ourselves, to set ourselves apart. Oh, yes. Mature, a mature identity is one that has received and is grateful for who I am, who I be. (laughs) Mm. If it's a declaration that determines being, then I receive that and I am grateful for it. And that is what 
a mature identity is. It's, yeah. An immature identity is still striving and working to try and build, you know, whereas the mature identity is the one that has believed. Oh, and it is so cultural for us to want to strive to build. I mean, Matt, that's like what everybody says. I mean, you start a podcast, you get a starter guide, and they tell yeah. you, you know, you got to be distinct, you got to set yourself apart, all this different stuff. I mean, that's exactly the message I think that we're receiving in this day and age with social media and all this different stuff. And it's it's yeah. just really, really hard to fight against that. It's like you're forcing it. Like you think if you're mm-hmm. not in a certain place then you're not right, like you're saying. Yeah, and this is what Paul's saying in Romans 12. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you know, where we have to not be, we have to remember that the world around us is going to distort the gospel. And um, even even within our churches and our groups and, and you know, parachurch ministries, everything, like, it's it's so hard to, to not be distracted Um by the world around us. And so much of the New Testament exhorts us um, uh, to be wary of that, to be aware of how um, those things affect um, not just our eyes and our ears, but our hearts. Um, And so we have to be mindful that those things can even affect our identities as well. Yeah. I love that verse that you brought up, the Romans 12 too. And I'm just about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I know one of the things that you taught me was that that happens in the context of submitting ourselves to the word of God. And another thing that I learned from you is that that can also happen in submission to community, to your brothers and sisters around you. Yeah. And I would just love to hear how community plays a role in the development. I don't want to say development now in us understanding our identity, coming to know more of who God is and who we are in light of Him? Sure. No, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, this is a whole other podcast. I mean, that, that's a whole, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole lot of things. You need to have a man podcast on that issue, by the way. Um, <laughs> like four men, the journeyman podcast. Men. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> four men on that issue because it's so, I mean, I was reading an article the other day that, uh, that the greatest threat to men is not alcoholism. It isn't pornography. It's loneliness, mm. um, isolation. And it's a, it's a real temptation yeah. even for Christian men because when we're separate, sin wants to isolate us because when we think that we're the only authority about things, uh, eventually we're going to isolate ourselves from everyone else and think that we're right or that we're the best or that we're the most whatever. And, um, that's not going to lead you to a right understanding nor a right stewardship of God's design of you. And so I think community really helps to confirm and community helps to reinforce our identity. So when I say community helps to confirm our identity, if I, uh, if I say that I have the spiritual gift of wisdom, um, you know, I'm walking around, you know, trying to tell people, you know, this is how, this is how God sees things, and this is the, God's perspective on this particular issue. Um, and I, it's not God's perspective, and it's really not wise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the community is going to say, um, "I think you should be quiet next time." <laughs> and, and that's that's oh, I need that. Yes. You know? But a lot of times when people say, "You know, I think you should be quiet next time," you're like, "How dare you?" Yeah. And we we don't. We don't take the time. We don't have the humility. If we're not going to be humble with God and receiving our identity from him, then why are we going to be humble with brothers and sisters in Christ who come alongside us and say, hey, I think you're, 
I think you're perverting your identity a little bit, or I think you're, you're acting out of line. So I think community can help us confirm our identity either by declaration, because I think God can speak through our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that's a pastor or a teacher or um, you know someone in your small a mentor, um, where God's declaration of your identity can come through someone in the church, yeah. in the community that you're a part of, that he can speak to you through that brother or sister in Christ. Um, that declaration can come to you that way. Or you may be searching and trying to figure that out and someone in your community can say, yes, I see that in you 100%, absolutely. And that can give you the, 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 the confirmation that you need to move forward. But on the same, in the same token, um, it can also help us uh, if we wander away from our identities. Mm-hmm. If we, we get off track, if we start acting out of character, um, community comes alongside us and says, Hey, that's not walking in line with either your specific design or what a Christian is in general. You're walking out of line of the gospel, which is exactly what Paul does with Peter. Um, and you read about that in, in Galatians chapter two. Um, so community plays a vital role in confirming, reinforcing, and uh, encouraging. Um, I wouldn't say identity building. I would say um, just identity and, and, you know, keeping us, um, um, keeping me from using my hammer for something was never designed to be used for. It keeps us from, from, from perversion. Yeah, I could be wrong here. Maybe this is prideful of me because I am in the millennial generation, but I feel like our generation is doing a better job of that. I'm not 100%. What do you disagree? Do you agree? Like confirming? No, I think No, I, I think millennials get a bad rap on on this on a number of things. I, I think that millennials um are I would say better or worse. That's kind of hard to say. I think millennials are are more uh, interested mm-hmm. in community. Yes. Uh, Predominantly because of of what they saw their parents kind of go through, um, and the isolation that they experienced as they were growing up, and I think that that's been um, maybe even one of the things that you know if they come from a broken home or if they they didn't really have a good meaningful sense of community um, growing up, they feel much stronger about having deep meaningful, uh, genuine, authentic, real, you know, yeah, all these yeah. words that millennials tend to use when they talk <laughs> about the relationships they're looking for. Um, I think that that's, that's very um, important to them and it's a, it's a value that they have. And I think that you're seeing that a lot. You see a lot more honesty. I find a lot more honesty coming from millennial um, or I'd say younger Christians in that regard uh, because um, they value that um, more highly. And so I don't think that's private for you to say. I think that's um, that's certainly in the ballpark. Yes. Okay. Well, one of the immaturities that I see with us is that we kind of are, we, we desire to know more of, okay, what are our giftings? What are our natural bents? What's our Enneagram? What's our personality type? All these different mm-hmm. things. How are we uniquely wired? But then it's almost paralyzing. Like, because we have a good idea of what our spiritual gift is and what our personality type is, I think sometimes we hesitate to move forward with opportunities that don't perfectly align or head in the exact direction that we hope they're heading. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to just hear your encouragement to somebody that feels like they have a good grasp of who they are, but who isn't really like 
acting out of that. Okay. Okay. So, um, just, just for clarification, I'm, I'm, I'm using the terms identity design. I'll even use the word calling all as synonyms. Okay. Like when I say those words, I'm, I'm meaning kind of the whole package. That's, that's who we are. Okay. Mm. So just for, just for clarification, I think my identity and my design are also my calling in life. Whatever God designed, designed me to be, that's what I'm supposed to do. And so design is identity. And then calling is the activity that's, mm. that's associated with that design form and function. Like, like we kind of talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so our identity or design or whatever that defines who we are. However, our vocation, what we do for money, generally let's talk about vocations first. That's not, that's only part of who we are. It's not all of who we are. Yeah. Identity is what you do. It's what you are, whether you get paid for it or not. Yeah. So if you're stuck and you, you, you have a good sense of who you are, and you don't know what to do. It doesn't mean that you can't take a job at something that you don't enjoy. It doesn't mean that you, you know, I, you as a, as a mom of young children should know that's probably not your idea of a, it's not your idea of a good time. You don't have a piece about getting thrown up on every day or, you know, <laughs> you know it's, I don't feel called to this. You know, this is, was I designed for that in some ways, but I, it's, it's just that, that sort of thing where there's going to be so much of our lives that are not. It's just not sexy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a very way, of, very good way of putting it. And, and I think, you, you know, you're right. I think millennials have a struggle in this area because when things get hard, they kind of tend to yeah. check out or leave or go find we something else. We just want the stars to always be aligning. And that's not life. Um, you know, uh, that's just not the way it goes. I worry sometimes that in Christian circles, we can over-spiritualize the idea of calling. We're told to explore our gifts and passions so that we can find our calling and do these great things for God. We're told to find the place where we feel a deep sense of purpose or fulfillment. And of course, using our gifts for God's glory is a huge part of why we're here on this earth. But I think a misunderstanding of calling can actually lead us to deep dissatisfaction. Because while sometimes God does call us to a great and glorious calling that lines up with our gifts, Sometimes God calls us to a place that doesn't match up with our passions and our strengths. Sometimes God calls us to a job we don't like. Sometimes for a season, God calls us to put our dreams to do great things for Him on hold for what seems like a menial and unimportant role. Your calling from God might not be some big, grand thing. It might be the menial job, the unseen task, or that thing you feel overqualified for. In fact, your calling might look a lot like everyday faithfulness. Whatever it is that you're doing now, wherever it is that God has you, whatever work the Lord has placed before you in this season, that is where God has called you to be and what He has called you to do. Let me be clear, it's not bad to want to do something great for the kingdom. It's not wrong to want to make a big impact for Jesus or to want to feel a sense of purpose or fulfillment. But consider how tightly you're holding on to that desire. Consider your motives. Do you want to do great things for your own glory and fulfillment or for God's? We're all tempted to want to do something important, but who are we to say what's important and what is not? Every person we engage is an eternal soul, and every moment is one that can be leveraged for the sake of your spiritual growth and for the sake of the gospel. I believe that any work the Lord calls you to do is great work, even if that work is changing diapers or mopping floors or answering phones. You might not love what God has called you to in this season. You might hate your job. Your work might seem small and insignificant. 
But if you are faithful to what the Lord has called you to, and if you leverage that opportunity as a chance to proclaim God's goodness and exercise trust in Him, then you find true fulfillment. Colossians 3.23 tells us to work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Did you catch that? The reward of our work is not our satisfaction. It's not impact or fulfillment, purpose. The reward of our work is the inheritance of Christ Jesus, intimate knowledge of the Father through Christ the Son by the gift of the Spirit in us. The reward of putting our hands to the work God has called us to, even if it's dull and unimportant, is a sanctification that happens in those moments as the Spirit shapes us to look more like Jesus. That's why we can praise God for wherever He has placed us, whatever work He has set before us, even if it feels mundane and pointless. That's how we can work diligently, even if it feels unimportant, because we know that from the foundation of the world, God has prepared a good work for each of us. So wherever you are, that is where the Lord has called you to today. And no matter what it looks like, there's beauty there. I'm preaching a sermon this Sunday uh, at a friend's church, and I, you know, I'm, I'm preaching on James chapter one, and one of my first points in the whole sermon is life is full of difficulty. Mm. And that's a great, diff- the difficulties in life are great litmus tests for our faith, not just our faith in God, but even like we were talking about before, our faith that God's design of us is right or that our stewardship of that is right. Another perfect example, I just took a new job. Anybody that's out there that's taken a new job knows the feelings of doubt and going, yeah. uh, what did I just do? <laughs> yes. You know, I walked away from a really awesome job and now here I am in this other job. I'm not sure. Uh. Yes. And that's, those feelings are legitimate. They're, they're, they're certainly there. We can't deny them. But at the same time, we have to understand that our identity is something that, that can help regulate those feelings, that can transcend them and help us rein them in sometimes. And uh, I have a good friend, his name is Tim, and he says, uh, this is one of his sayings that he says all the time, he says, when it comes to your calling, you will always persevere where you're called. Man. You will always persevere where you're called. Meaning, if I am called to do discipleship ministry and I'm employed at a place that lowers my pay, that there's a boss I don't like where I have there where my job continues to not be pleasing for me. Mm -hmm. But if that's my calling to a certain degree, now there's a boundary there for everybody to a certain degree. I will persevere through difficulty. (laughs) If I'm called, if I'm designed for that, I'll keep going. Yes. If I'm not, if I'm not called to it, there's no way I'm going to persevere. I will go, if I have to go work at McDonald's to provide for my family, no offense to any of your readers that work or listeners that work at McDonald's, right? but if I have to go flip burgers for a living, I will do that and I will do it with gladness, but I will not do it one minute longer than I have to. Or if, if my boss, if my boss gets really up in my face and say, that's fine, I'm going to Burger King, you know, I'll go flip <laughs> burgers over there um, because just, I, I don't have any, there's no calling. So I'm not going to persevere there. So I think that if your listeners have a, a good sense of their identity, then they need to take steps to move forward in what God's called them to do, even if it doesn't line up with the things that they enjoy. Or the opposite, they need to find ways to exercise their identity outside of their vocation. 
Yeah. For, let's say probably 80% of people in the world don't get to have jobs that are mm-hmm. their, it's another millennial word for you, their passion. You know, <laughs> I, I would say 80% of people, in my experience, most people don't like their jobs. Yeah. And the, your, what you do for your job is not where your fulfillment is. It's not where you get your, your sense of identity. And so your identity should transcend and supersede your job. So it should be something that you do outside of your job. If, it's, if your job isn't fulfilling your identity, then if it's what you're designed to do, you should be doing that outside of your job anyway. Right. So I, I think that if we kind of rethink again how we, how we approach the decisions we make about vocation and go, you know, a vocation is, is a way to earn money, provide for my family. It's a way for me to exercise my gifts, my talents, my abilities to God's glory. Mm-hmm. But it's not all of who I am and it's not all of what my identity is. I think that really sets us free to take risks and to, you know, if our identity isn't going to be really fulfilled or, or most, um, you know, well used in my vocation, right. that's fine. I'll go, I'll go volunteer in the church. I'll go volunteer at another nonprofit somewhere. I'll put my gifts to use. I'm going to do whatever God's designed me to do, whether I get paid for it or not. Oh man. I can't believe it's been 55 minutes of us talking about identity. We discussed having a part two. So if you guys are interested, maybe Matt will be willing to come back on and talk about it a little bit more because as you can see, it's eight months worth of material, (laughs) if not more. I am just so fired up over here and really, really encouraged. I hope everybody else is. And I know they would love to hear if you have some resources that they can look to beyond this podcast for helping develop slash grow in their understanding Mm -hmm. of who they are. Yeah. So real quick, I think, you know, again, because I believe identity is not something that we build. It's something that we believe that God's given to us. I think one of the best things that you can do is to remind yourself of what those identity statements are. And so, you know, being in the scriptures, you can't beat that. Um, I know there are some podcasts and books out there that are great, but when you read passages um, that says, I have chosen you, you are mine. Mm. That's, that's hard to ignore. And maybe, you know, take some time to meditate on some of those um, statements. That's Isaiah, right? Isaiah? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the next resource I would say is the body of Christ itself that one of the best ways to again confirm and you know even realign your identity or you know make sure you're understanding it correctly Mm -hmm. is by inviting other people into your life and the only way that's going to happen is if you take a risk and you trust them and you get to know them that you're vulnerable and you allow them to get to know you and they're able to speak identity into you maybe even um, God himself using those people to speak identity into you. I think the body of Christ is an indispensable resource in this regard. So some of your churches have small groups. Some of your churches have, you know, men's or women's Bible studies, getting involved with a group of people that can help you understand those facets of who you are, I think is better than any book. And it's better than, uh, except the Bible, of course. But uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's bar none, one of the best things that you can do to develop this, this part of, um, your Christian life. Yes. And then um, the last resource is uh, remembering. Mm. If you could ask yourself this question every day, I think it would help you. Who am I and what am I doing here? Mm. If you could give specific answers to those questions that are unique to you or that are 
specific to the way you understand your design, if you could ask yourselves those two questions, if you remind yourself, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is who I am. Oh yeah, this is why, okay, that's going to really change some of the decisions you make, the way you treat other people. A lot of sons and daughters have had their parents say to them, you know, before they leave the house, remember who you are, remember whose you are. It's the same kind of idea where the process of remembering cannot be overstated when it comes to identity. Because again, it's something that's bestowed. If I run off and forget what's been bestowed to me, then um, I'm going to pervert it or forget it. And that will be, that will be a shame. Okay. Well, as we're ending, one of the questions that I ask every guest on the Journey Women podcast, as a journey man, who has mm-hmm. had the biggest influence on your journey with Jesus? Oh, that's easy. Uh, it's it's uh, my mentor in college. His name is Gordon Blocker. Yes, I actually got to meet him. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. So, Gordon, like I, you know, I've been to seminary and you know all this. Like I would trade my seminary career for the two and a half years I had under his mentorship, and uh, you know, it wasn't perfect. It, there was there were some rocky places in there too, but. My goodness, I'm the minister I am today. I mean, a lot of the reasons why I did the Forge and why I devoted myself so much to you guys is really just me uh, giving back to you guys what he so generously gave me. Um, I can't not do that because uh, I would be the man I am were it not for him. Amazing. Yeah. Now we need to get Gordon on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Gordon. This interview. You need to, if you could, that would be awesome. We have, Let's talk after. Maybe we can figure that out. That would be excellent. I would love that so much. Well, Matt, I feel the same exact way. This is so cheesy, but I do about you as you do about Gordon. And I look at my life and I just see the way in which, you know, I've watched you and all of those things permeating so many things that I do. And it's because I'm following you as you follow Jesus. So, Thank you so much for the influence that you've had on my life. And I really, really, really appreciate you taking time out of your evening to come and talk with our listeners today about the topic of identity. Thanks for coming on the show. Our prayer is that this episode encourages you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ. That is what being a journey woman is all about. You've been listening to Journey Women, a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can do so by visiting journeywomen.org slash give or visit the link in our show notes. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.